Amen. Thank you, Scott. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. In our Bibles this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So the song that Scott just sang is all about walking by faith. What do you do when the sun doesn't seem to be breaking through and you can't see, see your way through a trial and you're not sure how this is going to work out? Um, you choose to take God at his word. And that's what that song was all about. Even when you and I can't, we don't feel, we may not feel spiritual. We may not feel godly. We may not feel like we have faith. But uh, we still choose to believe what he has promised, what he has said. And uh, you and I can do that. You and I can do that. Thank you very much, Mr. Pagan. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we're at. I want us to look at a young mother by the name of Hannah this morning. And uh, certainly a favorite Bible story of mine. Uh, She has a son. Um, God's going to answer her prayer, and he's going to give her a son. And she's going to name him Samuel, which has the idea that God has heard. That God has heard her prayer. And uh, Samuel's going to grow up, and he's going to serve the Lord. He's going to be a prophet. We won't get into that this morning, the time that we have. And Samuel's going to end up being a wonderful friend uh, to men who are in leadership and a wonderful leader in Israel. And uh, before, we're not going to get to look at those things, but I want to look at really before Samuel was born. And I want to look at the life of his mother uh, we, we live in difficult days today, there's no doubt about that. Um, every one of us faces difficulties in our own lives. Uh, hardships come and go. And, uh, and it was no different in, in Hannah's day. Uh, in some ways, the days, the days that we are living in are no more difficult than the difficulties in the days that Hannah was faced with. Uh, Hannah lived during a period of time that we call the Judges. Uh, There was no king in Israel in these days. The Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there was a lot of wickedness. Um, People just lived however they wanted to live. And they would uh, sprinkle in some religion, and they would just live and do what they wanted to do. And those were the days that Hannah lived in. It's the period of the judges, and the moral temperature of Israel was terrible. Samson had died. And Samson wasn't the most upstanding man in the world. If you know anything about Samson, uh, he had failed terribly in many ways. But God had also used him for God's glory. But Samson was dead. There was no great leader in the land. And the days of Hannah may well have been the worst worst days. Uh, we, We could even say they might have been days that are worse than the days that we live in today. The Philistines, the enemies of Israel, were gaining ground. The, 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 the priesthood of Israel was corrupt. The, in other words, the spiritual leadership of Hannah's day was corrupt. The nation of Israel was weak and powerless. Why? Because they were turning to idols. They were, they were living their lives for themselves. They were not worshiping the one true God. The priesthood, who were supposed to be leading the people to God were completely corrupt. They were vile and sinful men, these priests. In fact, the very sons of the high priest were engaging some of the women of Israel 
as they would come to worship the Lord, they were engaging the women of Israel in immorality and adulterous fornication-type relationships right at the foot of the tabernacle. And it was a wretched time of tremendous evil in the world. You know, such a rebellious day, and this was the day that Hannah lived in, such a rebellious day requires special men to courageously love God and to courageously follow God. And you say, well, Seth, how come you're emphasizing men to follow God and love God on Mother's Day? Well, I don't know that you really have men who love God and follow God if they haven't had mothers who have trained them up to do that. Remember Paul talked to Timothy and he reminded Paul, or Paul reminded Timothy of his mom and his grandmother. And he said to Timothy, the faith that you have, and this was the emphasis, the faith that you have is a direct connection to the faith of your mother and your grandmother. I've been blessed in my life both of my grandmothers love the Lord and know, know the Lord and uh, love the Lord and worship the Lord. My grandma Ferguson is with the Lord now, but I was blessed to have her, a woman who loved the Lord, a petite little lady, a white hair. I used to love watching her do her hair. And uh, she'd get all the curls just right, and then she'd let loose with the aerosol spray. I, I was just amazed by that. As a little boy, I loved the spray can. It was awesome. And uh, Grandma Ferguson would always wear these gloves, these driving gloves. Some of you wear those, right? But uh, she'd always wear those driving gloves. I remember her running over a squirrel in Detroit on the way to church on a Sunday morning. And the squirrel went this way and that way and couldn't make up his mind. And he'd made the wrong choice, you know. I remember hearing the thunk, the thunk. It bounced a couple times underneath the cars, went over it. And then I looked behind. My mouth was probably like looking. This is on the way to Sunday school. And that squirrel shot up in the air behind the car. Yeah, he was dead. But fond, fond memories. Uh, <laughs> I've never liked squirrels. And then Grandma Kelly, my mom's mom, uh, Remember when we lived down in southern Michigan, we'd go down every Tuesday. We'd go to Grandma Kelly's house, and, and uh, it, we called it Tuna Tuesday because we always had tuna. And uh, I still like tuna fish sandwiches uh, to this day. William, I'm passing on the tradition, Mom. I, always, I make William tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> I think he's starting to like them, too, in some sort of a <laughs> twisted way. But... Uh, Grandma Kelly, would, she loves to write notes and prays for us regularly, loves her family. And she'd always make, I never liked white milk. She'd make me the thickest chocolate milk you'd ever tasted. I mean, you almost had to use a spoon. It was so thick. You know, but, uh, and then I've been blessed with a mother and, uh, who loved me. And uh, more, more times than I can remember, I have failed my mother. And uh, as a young person, not always honored my mother, but uh, very consistent just to just to love me anyway. Many of us in this room have been blessed with moms and grandmothers who love us and are faithful to us. And in this particular passage, we've got this we've got this lady. And she's living in this terrible time of rebellion. 
a time in which there needed to be a man, a time when God needed to raise up a man who would stand in the gap and make a difference. And she would. She would have a son. She was going to name him Samuel, and he would stand in the gap. And Samuel was going to be that kind of a man, and Hannah was that kind of a mother. And you really don't have those kinds of men without those kinds of mothers. The best way I know how to introduce you to Hannah is that she was a very special lady who really knew the Lord. Now, this is Old Testament. She didn't have the Spirit of God living in her the way we have the Spirit of God living in us today. Um, Jesus Christ had not died on the cross yet and rose from the dead. Um, And yet, in this particular time, she was a woman who knew God. I want you to look at chapter 2. I'm not going to preach through chapter 2, but I want to read to you 10 verses out of chapter 2. The first 10 verses, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and uh, because it's a prayer of a mother. And uh, ladies, I would encourage you, I'm not going to preach through this prayer, but I'd encourage you to read through it again on your own time. 1 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. Sometimes, as Scott's saying, we can't see his salvation. We don't feel his salvation. And maybe that's where you are today. Verse 2. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. So she was a woman of faith. You can see this. Verse 3. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are men are broken, and they that stumble are girded with strength. Well, I could see some of you as moms praying this way to God for your children. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that are hungry cease, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children are waxed, is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. Oh, that there'd be some moms who'd get a hold of that truth, that you could teach your children, your sons and your daughters, Look your boys in the eyes and tell them it's not going to be by strength that you're going to overcome in this life, son. Verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I'm not going to continue on, but Hannah, without question, you read those 10 verses as Hannah prayed to the Lord. There's no doubt about it. Hannah believed that she believed in the God of the Bible. She knew him. Can you see that as she prayed? She knew who she was talking to. She knew he was the one who is the giver of salvation. He is the deliverer. He is the one that makes rich and makes poor. And uh, she, this woman, Hannah, really was a godly woman who knew the Lord. Let's pray together, and I want to look at a few characteristics of a godly mom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we, we gather ourselves together today to worship you, to know you better. And Lord, I, we're going to look at a, a, the life of a woman this morning who loved you and knew you. Father, I pray that as we look at her life today, that our, maybe our consciences would be pricked of areas where we're falling short. Uh, others in this room, I pray that, that moms would be encouraged and some husbands here and dads would be greatly encouraged. Some teenagers would be encouraged because they have a mom like Hannah. And Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would be drawn out to love our mothers more and to honor them and to show our gratitude and our respect. But Lord, I pray more than just seeing Hannah's life, I pray that, that our appetites would be wet not for moms just to be like Hannah, as we see here, or just to be thankful for those mothers that we have, but that we, like Hannah, would know you. Because, Lord, had she not known you, none of this would be possible. So that, this is my prayer for the moms of Trinity Baptist Church, Lord, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would worship you in an evil day with our wicked flesh. But, Lord, that you would be glorified in the moms of this church and that we as a church family would honor our mothers. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the truths as I preach them this morning. Help me, I pray. Help us as we hear them. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, to be such a godly woman, and I think it's pretty obvious just by reading her prayer uh, there in chapter 2, to be such a godly lady, Hannah must have lived an easy life, don't you think? I've kind of already given it away. She lived in a really wicked time. She faced some real opposition. Um, <laughs> the leadership, the priest, is actually going to accuse her of being drunk. Okay, um, Her husband has two wives, and she's one of two. Any, any of you would like to be a part of something like that? I don't think so. Yeah, Good answer. <laughs> I don't even know who said that, but was it you? Yes, it was, wasn't it? (laughs) Nobody would want that. But you know, Hannah lived in a hard time. She lived a hard life. It wasn't an easy life. But regardless of how your life may be going, what direction it may be going, where you're at in your life, maybe it's a mountaintop experience where you're at right now, and you can just see for miles, and everything looks so wonderful, and the sun's out, and the birds are singing, and not the bird that sings at my house at 4.30 a.m., but the other birds, you know, uh, are happy, and everything's going great for you. And, and, and maybe there's some ladies like that, but then there, there are some mothers here who are in a valley, and it's kind of dark, and you can't see your way through it right now. And uh, for mothers, there are always valley, valleys, because if they're not in a valley, they have a child who might be in a valley. They have a child who may not be loving the Lord. Um, A mother might have a husband who's making some poor decisions. And and so a wife, a mother, has to be a woman of faith. She has to be a woman who, while going through the hardships of this life, she has to be a woman with certain characteristics if she's going to have the influence that she wants to. Now, Hannah did not live an easy life. She had a husband, uh, a wonderful husband, I think, even. But he wasn't selfless. 
Um, he did listen to her. He was influenced by her. They would worship God together, but he was a bit of a product of his culture. And uh, he wasn't ultimately as God of fearing uh, as a, as God of fearing a man as he ought to have been. And there are many men in this room, and we could probably raise our hands, both of them, and say, "We're not all that we ought to be as husbands and as fathers." So let's back up just for a little bit, and I want to see a little bit of the difficulties that Hannah faced. Look back to chapter one, verses one and two. Chapter one, verses one and two, and let's meet Hannah's family. Okay. This is where we we find her. She has no children. Look at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathim Sophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. That's her husband, Elkanah. The son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, uh, and Ephrathite. And I'm glad no one here is named Zuf. Verse 2. And tell me about this man, Elkanah, her, this husband. Look at verse 2. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. What a, what a mess. One husband, two wives. That's all you need for a mess. One husband plus two wives equals a mess. Okay? And this is where Hannah found herself. One husband two, uh, and, and another wife. Not a sister, another wife. And I don't know who did the dishes, or who did the laundry, or who did what exactly, but Elkanah had two wives. And, uh, and can I just say polygamy is sin today? And, and maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I know in the Old Testament a lot of men had multiple wives. And I don't know of any men here who want more than one wife, okay? You don't have to shake your head with such vigor, Scott Payton. But that also is the right answer, especially on Mother's Day. I don't know any men who want two wives, but it was, it's wrong today, and it was wrong then, too. But it was culturally acceptable in those days. It was legal. Should you and I do things that are legal just because they're legal in our society? Should we? Abortion is legal in our society. Marijuana now is legal in our society to a degree, right? There are many things that are legal, but just because they're legal or acceptable in a society does not mean it's something that we ought to do. But Elkanah had gotten wrapped up in his society to that degree. He has two wives. And it was culturally acceptable. But remember this, God had never said that it was a good thing. He had never put his stamp of approval on it. Now, in the face of this kind of hardship, Hannah, I see three characteristics of a godly mother. First of all, I notice that a godly mother has a right relationship to her husband. Moms, I know it's Mother's Day, and I'm not, this is not a message on marriage, but you cannot be a mom who is going to be the right kind of an example to your children if you don't have a right relationship with your own husband. You have to. And you say, you don't know my husband. Well, we didn't know Alcana very well, but we know enough about him, right? Would you want Alcana as your husband? Yes or no? No. But despite having Alcana as her husband, I can't help but seeing that Hannah 
has a right relationship with her husband, even when he's not doing right. Now, this is, this is important. How, how is your relationship with your husband, ladies? Ephesians 5 tells us, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, and I'm going to read four verses here, and I want you to listen to them. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that is, if there's any husband who's not obeying God, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And the conversation means the manner of life. It doesn't mean a speech. It means that a man, a husband, who isn't looking to the word of God, doesn't really love God, He's kind of wrapped up in this world and kind of wrapped up in himself. You know, he's entertainment-driven. Life is about him. A woman who's married to a man like that, Peter actually says that you can win that, that, that husband to the Lord. And not just for salvation, I don't think, but I think to a godly, God-fearing life. By the way, as a wife, you live by the way you live life, by the, way, by the way you operate in life. And he says, he goes on to say this, while they behold your chaste, it means innocent, clean, pure, manner of life, conversation coupled with fear. So he says, a woman, a mom, a, a wife who fears God, who lives a chaste life, a, an innocent, a clean, a pure life, can actually win by the way she lives her life. She can lead her husband to follow God. And this is a man who doesn't look at the Bible. Or maybe he looks at it, but he doesn't follow it. And then he goes on to say, who's adorning, speaking about the wife, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. So Peter says the most important adornment is not your hair, it's not your earrings or your jewelry, it's not the clothing that you wear, that's not how you're going to win your husband, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament, I love how he uses that term, the decoration of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, I'm not preaching through that passage, but sometimes when we read about a meek and quiet spirit, we think, okay, that's the woman who never says anything. But, you know, there are some women who talk more than others, right? That's not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Is that true? Right, okay. You think I'm setting you up. I'm not. Some women may be more vocal than other women, but... Just because a woman is vocal doesn't mean that she doesn't have a meek and quiet spirit. It's possible for a woman who is more vocal than another woman to still have a meek spirit, strength under control, and a quiet spirit. And it's possible for a woman who may not say a lot of words to be very rebellious in her heart. Okay. And, I, and I'm reading these New Testament passages that are wonderful passages of Scripture about being a woman that God is pleased with and my mind was drawn to them. I was reminded of those passages of Scripture as I was thinking about Hannah. Because that's the kind of woman that she was. Hannah won 
and I'm using the New Testament term from Peter, he, she, she won the respect of her husband because of her spirit toward her husband. She won the respect of her husband by the way she lived her life. Um, look, look, look here at verses 4 and 5, and notice that Elkanah loved Hannah. Elkanah and Hannah. Penina shouldn't have been a part of the picture, in my opinion. But anyway, Elkanah loved Hannah. Look at verses 4 and 5 in our text. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he would go to worship, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. So he provided for his family. He gave portions. Verse 5, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. It means a double portion. For he loved Hannah. Okay, keep, keep going here. Look at verses 6 and 8. Not only did Elkanah love Hannah, but he also was concerned for Hannah. Look at verses 6 and eight, or six and 7 and 8. It says, And her adversary, Hannah's adversary, also provoked her sore for to make her fret, trying to make her worry and anxious because the Lord had shut up her womb. Penina would provoke Hannah because Hannah hadn't had any children. Verse 7, And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Penina would provoke Hannah while they went to worship. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. Verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? And you can see in these verses, Elkanah loved his wife Hannah. He loved her, and he, he was concerned for his wife. And I believe a lot of how Elkanah responded and his concern and his love for his wife Hannah was a result of how Hannah had lived her life as a wife before her husband Elkanah. Look, look down to verses 20, 21 and following. You're still in chapter 1. Look down at verse 21. And notice, notice that Elkanah, the husband, listened to his wife Hannah. Verse 21. I'll read down through verse 23. <clears throat> verse 21 says, And the man... Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child, that's Samuel, and by this time she has a child, I will not go up till the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Now that's called communication. Uh, Elkanah listened to his wife. Hannah had influence over her husband. I don't think it was inappropriate. I don't think it was wrong. But, but they had a relationship here. And the, what I'm trying to point out, and I'm not trying to overdo it at all, but Hannah had won the respect of her husband because of her sweet, submissive spirit toward her imperfect husband named Elkanah. And the result of this, uh, because of the way she had lived her life, was Elkanah loved Hannah. He was concerned for Hannah. He listened to Hannah. You know, men aren't just born into the world that way. Husbands just aren't, they just don't happen that way. I'm not putting all the responsibility on you as wives either. You know, men, we have a responsibility, and I think in this case, in, not in uh, some areas, but in this case, Elkanah was right. He was right to love his wife. He was right to be concerned for his wife. He was right to listen to his wife. And men, many of us are married to women who have a great deal of wisdom. And 
it, is, it would be wise and prudent of us to, to listen and to ponder what they say. Not, not giving to them the burden of leadership. Not casting upon them, our wives, what God has given us to, the burden to carry and to lead and to bear the burdens of life. That's our responsibility. But men, we would do well to listen and to love and to be concerned for our wives. So I ask you this morning, ladies, how is your relationship with your husband? I'm not trying to dredge up. I was pondering this yesterday as I was reviewing, and I don't want to, my goal today is not to beat up mothers on Mother's Day. But how, how is your relationship with your husband? Some of you in this room would say, it is phenomenal. It, is, it could not be better. I, my relationship with my husband, some of you would say, is just out of this world. I never thought it could be this good. And there are some in this room, and you say, it's never been worse than it is right now. And then we got every group in between, right? Is your relationship with your husband good? Is it bad? Is it non-existent? Is it wonderful? And maybe I should just ask you this question. Ladies, are you working on it? Are you working on that relationship? Have you given up on that relationship? Don't give up on your husband. He's the one that God gave to you. And as a husband, I can tell you this, I need my wife. I need her. I miss her. Yesterday when she was sick, and maybe this will communicate some of my selfishness to you, but I came in the house and she was there and she was all day quilled up. and She doesn't, she's rarely ill at all. And, uh, and it was obvious that she was not feeling well. And my first words were, I just hate it when you don't, you're not able to come to church with me. I miss her when she's not here. She's my advocate. She's my support. She's in some ways some strength to me. She is faithful to me and loyal to me. She tells me the truth. I need her and, and ladies, your husband needs you too. So work on it. Even if you're in an awful marriage, and it's obvious to me that Hannah was not in a good marriage, but she did have a husband named Alcanah, and Hannah won his respect. Now, look at verse number three. Back to verse three. Uh, Hannah shared with her husband in worship. They worshiped the Lord together. Look at verse number three in chapter one. It says in verse 3, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now the first part of that verse is what I just bring to your attention. Hannah would worship with her husband. Hannah's husband was a man who worshipped God yearly. Exodus chapter 23 tells us that God's people were to go up to Shiloh three times each year to worship the Lord. Elkanah was a faithful man in this sense. He sought to at least go through the motions of worship, worshiping God, and Hannah shared with her husband in his worship of God. Husbands and wives, we ought to share in our worship one with another. That's one of the great things about gathering together under the word of God. What do we do? We sit down together, and and I miss this, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I miss sitting with my wife. I miss it. Sometimes on Sunday nights when we're a little more laid back, you you see where I'm at during the we're singing hymns. I like to be nearer. I like to hear her voice. I want to worship the Lord with my wife. 
So it's a good thing to do. Some of you who are widowed, some of you here have lost your husbands. and They've gone on to be with the Lord. And others of you, have, some have lost uh, your wife from this life after many, many years of marriage in this life. And you miss them. You miss worshiping God with them. You, wor- you miss pondering scripture with them. And so for those of us who still have a spouse living in this life, sometimes we view our spouse as an enemy. Don't view your spouse as an enemy. They are a gift of God. Peter calls marriage the grace of life. The grace of life. Treasure it. Treasure it. Elkanah expressed his worship to the Lord by obeying God's word and going up yearly to the tabernacle. And and even though it meant hardship for her, Hannah had a right relationship with Elkanah, and she shared with her husband in worshiping the Lord. Look at verse number 7. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. So even while Hannah is going up with her husband to worship the Lord, it, it was not an easy thing. A polygamist certainly doesn't make a perfect husband. And in our eyes, not even a respectable husband. But he was Hannah's husband. Sometimes a woman can look at her husband and say, he's not respectable. Are any of us in this room ever always respectable? And I know there are different degrees, but Hannah's husband, I think, wasn't respectable in some ways, but she honored her husband where she could, and they worshiped God together. Do that. Make that a goal in your marriage, ladies. Honor your husband where you can. Honor your husband where you can and make the most of your marriage. Your marriage probably isn't perfect. No marriage is, but a godly mother will have a right relationship with her husband. Moms, work on your relationship with your husband. Don't forget your husband. Take time with him. And men, let her take time with you. Give her time. I think most of us as men in this room would say we want our wives to be godly examples to our children. That we want our children to be able to look at our wife, uh, their mother, and how she responds to us as husbands, leaders in the homes. And most of us as men would say we really want God's picture in marriage, which is Christ in the church, the wife representing the church and the husband representing Christ. We really want our children to be able to see that relationship in a right way. And husbands, we, we play a role in this. Elkanah, again, listened and he loved and he respected his wife. I also noticed that Hannah shared with her husband in love and, and affection. Look at verse number four. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. In verse number five, it says, but unto Hannah he gave an, a worthy portion, a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Hannah shared with her husband in love and affection. In love and affection, it, 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 is, it isn't just spiritual. There's a physical element to it. And that changes with time. Some of us are more intimate-minded. Uh, we love to just hold hands and walk around, you know. And others of us are like, don't touch me. That ship has sailed 30 years ago. Don't withhold yourself from one another. 
You know that Paul told the Corinthian church, you're wrong if you do. You're wrong if you do. Don't do that. Husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And this isn't just a man thing. This just isn't a woman thing. There's, there needs to be a love. It needs to be cultivated. And, and it's not just spiritual, this love and affection. This, there's a physical element to it as well. Hold hands. Put, let her put her head on your shoulder. Put your head on her shoulder. Whatever. Do I have to go on and on? Okay, be intimate with one another. Enjoy one another's relationship. Uh, it, it's part of the grace of life. God's given you a spouse to help you go through life. I'm sure that Penina knew that Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved her. And so she provokes Hannah year after year. It says that in verse number seven, the latter part. Penina, in fact, provoked Hannah so much that Hannah would weep. And, and she wouldn't eat. She would stop eating. It was so vexing to her spirit. This is where she lived. And some of us can imagine what this is like. Have you ever been so vexed about something that you just can't hardly eat? Maybe you can't hold back the tears. You know, Hannah must have been a gracious woman, an understanding woman, a forgiving woman to endure what she endured, but she was still vexed. Now, Hannah is going to take her grief to the Lord in prayer, but I think part of what helped her through this difficult time in her life was that she and her husband worshipped God. She kept getting to know God together, and they loved one another. So the first characteristic in the life of a godly mother is that she has a right relationship with her husband. Secondly, a godly mother has a right relationship with God, with heaven. I can't help but notice from our text, but in the middle of what seemed to be an impossible situation, Hannah didn't lash out at her husband. At least that's not recorded for us here. She didn't lash out at her, advers- her adversary, Penina, her husband's other wife. Hannah doesn't lash out at everybody around her. What does she do? She goes directly to the Lord. Look at verses 9 and 10 in, in 1, Kings, or 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by, a post of the tab- by, by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness. Hannah was in bitterness of soul, so she's vexed. And she prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. She just couldn't hold back the tears. She just wept. She just, it just poured out of her. And here's this poor mother, or not yet a mother, this poor wife who has no children. And in that culture in those days, it would almost be, uh, it would almost be people, some people would look at it as a curse of God upon her because she can't have children. So God's obviously not blessing her. She's obviously not right with God in some way. To some degree in this culture, that would have been the thinking. Nothing could have been further from the truth, but here she is, and she's just brokenhearted. The, her, her husband's other wife is persecuting her, is provoking her. She's, she's just vexed. Her spirit is overwhelmed within her, and she just begins to weep. And she begins to pray. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm so glad that God is bigger than us. He's bigger than you and me. He's bigger than our imagination. He's bigger than what we can do. His ways are higher, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and our ways. Mom, be that kind of a mom. We have moms in this room, and you're grandmoms now. Be this kind of a grandmom. You go to the Lord in prayer. 
Your spirit is overwhelmed. Your, your soul is vexed. And there are things that are completely out of your control, and they were, out of, they were out of Hannah's control. Be that kind of a mom who goes to the Lord in prayer and find a secret place, a place apart, or wherever you can, and just pour out your spirit, your soul unto the Lord and say, God, this is what's happening. This is what I'm seeing. And, and just give it over to the Lord. Oh, that there'd be some young moms in this room that this would become a part of your character, a part of who you are. Anna was provoked. I think, I think it was, part of it was because of the decisions of her husband. Part of it was because of this other woman that's involved. Part of it's because she is not able to bear children, okay? And, and, and we could go around this room, and there are different ladies, there are different moms in this room, and there are different things that provoke you. But be a woman like Hannah. If you're anything like me, when you can't find your way through something, you start to you start to let off steam here and there. And it starts affecting those that are closest to you. You know what I mean? Sometimes the people that we're hardest on are the people that are closest to us and love us the most. And I've said this to you before, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's the grace of life, right? Uh, having a wife as a husband is, is a, is, or a husband is the grace of life. You get to go through life with somebody. You get to bear one another's burdens and be faithful and dedicated and loyal to one another. It's a beautiful thing that God's given us in marriage. Sometimes the people that we hurt the most are our wives and our husbands. We just kind of vent. I don't see that in this passage. Instead, Hannah goes to the Lord in prayer. She goes to the Lord in prayer. You know, what, what does a right relationship with God look like? And I just want to look at Hannah's life as we're going through chapter 1. Look back, look, look at verse 11, and notice that Hannah had a passion for God's best. And God's best for Hannah was, was a child, and not just one child. God was going to give her more than one. But, but that was God's best for Hannah. Hannah, Hannah was convinced that God's best for her was that he would give her a child. Look at verse 11. It says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, she calls her hardships an affliction, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. The Bible tells us that children are a blessing from God. We do well to remember that. They are. They're a blessing from God. I have four. They're all so different. One of them was practicing piano this week. Cindy keeps them on a regiment. You know, they're practicing piano. And one of them, I had heard her from the other room say, go practice the piano. That individual went in, started to play the piano, you know, finding the notes. You know what that's like in your home, you know, it's like can't take any more type of thing, you know, working through the piano. And then the piano stopped. I happened to come out, and this was only within a matter of a minute, two minutes. I happened to come out, and this particular child of mine is now standing with, his, with the back to the piano, looking at a wall, and obviously somewhere else. And I said, what are you doing? And the individual said, I don't know. And I said, well, didn't mom say to practice your piano? Oh, yeah. So within a matter of two minutes, they had forgotten what the the task was at hand. You know, all of our children are different, you know, and, and, and they have to grow and they have to mature and, and they fail along the way. Um, 
but children are still a blessing from God. Psalm 127 in verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And Hannah believed that. You know, today some people are saying, I don't know if I want to bring any more children into this world. And by the way, we all have to say that at some point. Whether we have 10 children, or 15, or 20, or 1, or 2, we all have that conversation. Are we done? And it's not our responsibility to cast judgment on others. But you know what? All of us, in my exhortation, and there are some, still some young couples around, my exhortation to you would be, have that conversation with one another, your husband and wife, but also cast it before the Lord. Lord, would you like us to have more children? God, what is your desire? Lord, we understand that the children are a blessing from you. We don't just have them because we decide to have them. God, you give them. And Lord, we want to have, if you want us to have another one or another three or another five, just you need to let us know because we're not seeing it right now. You know. But you need to have that conversation with God. And Hannah, Hannah wanted this. She desired it. She longed for it. She, she, why did she want a child? Because she believed a child was God's best. It was a gift from God, and she wanted God's best, and she was willing to embrace the responsibility. And isn't it a responsibility? To have a child is basically to say, I'm not going to sleep through the night for a year. We're not going to go there. We're not going to do that. We're going to put our lives on hold. It's selfless. Moms, I watch you, and I, I watch you care for your children, and you've been selfless. And even some of after they're sleeping through the night, there's still a selflessness. You're still... Uh, you're still willing to set aside maybe some ambitions or goals or dreams or aspirations or even what we might call your life for your children. And you have my respect for it. A godly mother is not a reluctant mother. A mother who desires, though, to fulfill God's plan to be fruitful and multiply. She wanted God's will to be done through her. Lord, I, I want to have a child because I believe that's what you want for me. It was her passion. Look at verses 12 and 13. I noticed that she was a woman of prayer. Verses 12 and 13 says, And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. And Eli was the high priest. He takes note of what she's doing here. She's crying. She's praying. In verse 13 it says, now Hannah, she, uh, or now Hannah, she spake in her heart. She's praying in her heart. Only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunk. The high, high priest thinks she's drunk. This woman was broken. Can you see that here? The tears are just flowing. Her heart, she's praying from her heart to the Lord. Her mouth is moving, but nothing. No sound is coming out. No words are coming out. I mean, she's just broken. But, but, but a godly mom is a woman of prayer. James 5 tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And this is how Hannah prayed. She knew what God wanted, and she asked for what God wanted. And that's, that's called biblical prayer right there. Moms, find out what God wants. I know we live in a life, in a life where today we want, some of us, we want our children to be exceptional athletes or exceptional musicians or exceptionally ac academically and of course all of our children are exceptional right of course but we, we have all these lofty goals how about we we as moms and dads find out what God wants for our children which could be nothing there's nothing better than that 
And how about we decide as parents to say that's what we're after in our children, for our children. We want God's best for our children. He doesn't have to be the superstar in the Little League baseball team. She doesn't have to be that awesome uh, soccer champion. They don't have to be that musician. They don't have to be the coolest kids in school. We want, God, we want what you want for our children. And Hannah, he, she found out what God wanted for her, and she prayed that way. It was her passion, and she prayed that way. Look at verse 11, how Hannah presented her son to the Lord. Verse 11, it says, as she vows this vow, she says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then... I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, when it says there shall no razor come upon his head, I'm not talking about Carter Hollis or those beautiful, that beautiful hair. I'm teasing you, Kaylee, of course. I wondered how long it'd be before you cut it. I thought she's got to be struggling with, when you have hair that nice, you can't cut that hair. But the point here is Hannah says, Lord, if you'll give me what I'm asking for, I will give that child back to you. All of of his life, he's yours. As I was reading this this week, I was thinking of my children. What does it mean to give our children to the Lord to be used however he wants? You know, at first, in this particular context, she's saying he's going to serve in with, with the high priest going to serve in the tabernacle. And maybe if we were to think about our children, we would think, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to let you have my kids so that you can take them to the mission field or maybe to serve in this way or serve in that way. But you know what? Remove that kind of thinking from your mind for just a moment and just think with me for a moment. Lord, Lord I'm willing for you, I would like for you to take my children and use them in any way you see fit in this life. Lord, whatever hardship you're going to bring into their lives, throughout their lives, Lord, I commit them to you. Lord, if you decide to give one of my children cancer someday for your glory, Lord, I trust you. Sometimes when we think about this willingness to give our children back to God, it means, what we mean by that is, Lord, I'm, 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 willing, to, I'm willing to let you use my children in a... Um, in the ministry, in church work, in mission work some way. But of course, Lord, I expect that you give them good health. I expect that you give them a good retirement. I expect you to give them a fruitful ministry and that sort of giving them back to God. And I don't think that's the way Hannah gave her son to the Lord. Lord, you can have him and you can use him however you want. There's a difference there. My goal for my children is not necessarily that Ian would be a pastor or that Will would pastor or be an evangelist or a missionary or that my girls would. That's not the goal I have for my kids. My goal for my children is that they would know the Lord and would love God with all their hearts. And now that I'm 40, I, 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 I used to be under the impression, you know, it's, it's a challenge to train them up while they're in your home. And that still is a challenge, but my, my concern sometimes is not so much when they're in the home, it's when they get out of the home. It's when they're in their 20s and 30s. And the doubt 
and the questions come up? Will I have taught them where to go when the doubts and questions of life come, when the billows of the waves of this life come hurtling against their lives? Will they know where to turn when they feel like quitting and giving up? When they start to question, and every one of us do question at times, am I on the right path? Am I believing the right things? Is this true? Will they know where to turn? Lord, hear my children. And there need to be some moms and dads in this room here today who say, Lord, and it'd be great for you to have this conversation with one another, and it's really going to come down to, do you trust the Lord as a parent? Do I trust the Lord as a parent enough to say, Lord, I, I gave this child to you, and now you're allowing this into their lives. Do we trust him? Because we can't possibly teach them to trust him if we ourselves do not trust him. Hannah was a woman of prayer. She presented her son to the Lord. I also notice she was a woman of purity. Look at verse 12. We'll wrap this up. Verse 12. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord and that Eli marked her mouth. And Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, and her heart was not her, or her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. <laughs> He didn't really recognize. He's talking to a godly woman here. And verse 15 says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of, of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Hannah was not a daughter of Belial, it says here, which means she wasn't an evildoer. She hadn't turned to alcohol to console herself. What is it that you and I turn to in times of grief? What do we turn to? I was with my sister and my brother-in-law on Friday, and Cindy uh, was there. Uh, We were all there as our families were together on Friday evening, and... uh, and uh, she was teasing me uh, because when I get stressed, I have an impulse to buy things. I may not be able to fix this problem, but I can have a package on my door in two days. I can do that. In fact, I can choose what's on my door, my, my, my porch in two days. I can control that. And to some degree, it's a form of idolatry. It's looking to console myself in something other than God. Here, Eli says, stop drinking alcohol. Stop this. And she says, I've not drunk wine. I've not drunk strong drink. I just have a broken spirit, and I'm just crying out and and praying to the Lord. She did what was right. Sometimes you and I, and for you, it may not be buying things. My brother-in-law looked at me. He said, what? See, when he gets under stress, he tightens up. So I don't even know if they have food to eat. I'm sure they do. But, but he tightens up, totally different than me. I'm like, let's go buy something. You know. And you know, there's all different kinds of idols out there. There's all different kinds of ways to try to console ourselves. But when I look at Hannah, she's a woman of purity. She wasn't an idolater. She wasn't trying to console herself with the things of this world, whether it was alcohol or anything else. She just goes to God. And it says here she's a pure woman. One more truth. Look at verse 18. 
Hannah was a woman of patience, verse 18. Verse 18, I read down through verse 20. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Why? And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah his wife. So they had sexual relationship. And the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, which means heard of God, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Hannah was a woman of patience. Are you a woman of patience? Mom, have a passion for God's best. Be a woman of prayer. Present your children to the Lord. Present them to the Lord. Be a woman of purity. Be a woman of patience. I'll not take the time to go back and read the prayer in chapter 2 that we already read, but in those 10 verses, Hannah prays. What an amazing prayer. What a powerful prayer of a mom to God. There's one last thought, and that is that a godly woman, a godly mother, has a right relationship at home. Did you, did you recall the verses that we read in verses 21 as Elkanah is getting ready to go up with all of his house yearly to sacrifice? And Hannah comes to him in verse 22, and she goes not up, but she says to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah says, okay, you do what, do what you will with that. What was, El, what was Hannah doing there? She has this baby, and she was saying, you know what? My child is going to be a priority to me. She had a right priority. Moms have right priorities. Hannah had a dedication to her children. It's more important, it was more important for Hannah to stay home and nurture her child than to go to the tabernacle and offer sacrifices to God. She knew the priority. She stayed home with her child in total dedication, in total commitment, in total training and loving and instruction and caring for Samuel. And understood that she had a responsibility to train Samuel to serve God. Mom, nobody else can replace you. As your children grow... They're going to be faced with all kinds of things, and you're going to be in tune in ways where dad is not in tune, and sometimes, sometimes vice versa. Mom, your primary responsibility is your children and your husband. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to stay home and not work a job. But that job is secondary. And by the way, that's true for the husbands too. Is there anything more important than his children and his wife? There ought not be. But mom, you have a responsibility to train them up, to nurture them, to teach them. You know, ultimately, Hannah desired that her children be dedicated to the Lord. And I'll not read it, but we'll not read all of it. But look at verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her uh, with, her, with three bullock and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Samuel was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, notice lowercase l, she's talking to a man. As thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent, and the word lent means to give. 
I have given him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent, given to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. What kind of a mom are you? This is not meant to be discouragement, okay? Every one of us in this room falls short of what we ought to be. We don't always do what we ought to do. But let it be, I hope it, hope it rings true in your heart and your mind. And as you heard the word of God and we looked at Hannah's life this morning, I hope that there was something in you that was convicted. Your spirit was convicted within you to have a right relationship with your husband, to have a right relationship with God, and to have a right relationship at home with your children. Pour yourself into your children. It is a high and holy and noble calling, that of a mother. There is nothing else like it. Nothing can replace it. No amount of money, no amount of fame or, or um, applause. And I, and I know because I witnessed it with my own family and I witnessed it with growing up under the house of my mom and dad, roof of my mom and dad. It's often a thankless job. Some of the most menial tasks, clean up this, say the same thing 48 times in a row with some spankings mixed in. And your kids aren't saying, thank you, Mom, for the discipline you're instilling into my life. Thank you for keeping me, holding me accountable. Thank you for... You're not getting that. It's just you. And you're all alone sometimes. But I want you to know something. You have a beautiful calling of God. And for some of you, now your children are grown. You have a beautiful, holy calling of God. Be that mom that God wants you to be. Would you take your hymnals and would you stand with me? We're going to close with a hymn of invitation. Hymn number 405. We're just going to sing the first and the last. Hymn number 